Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at the ways in which systematic poverty negatively impacts the lives of people living in it. Today, how does poverty limit the resources available to those same people? For many, the cost of a lawyer or the courts may discourage someone from seeking legal aid. As part of WITF's Chasing the Dream, Poverty and Opportunity in America project, we're joined by Rodia Thomas. She's executive director of MidPen Legal Services to discuss the lack of resources available for the poor and how her organization is working to change that when it comes to legal services. Ms. Thomas, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. All right, let's start with uh, the organization first of all, MidPen Legal Services. Uh, what do you do? Yes, MidPen Legal Services is a civil legal aid provider. We provide civil legal services for low income people, survivors of domestic violence in 18 counties in central Pennsylvania. However, we're part of a civil legal aid network where there's a civil legal aid program that covers every all 67 counties in Pennsylvania. And then we also have a series of what we call specialized programs, legal aid programs that focus on special issues such as utility law, health law, Friends of Farm Workers, which works on migrant farm worker issues of regional housing. So we try to cover the state of Pennsylvania with um, um, all of the services that we provide. And you mentioned uh, utilities. Uh, we're going to be talking about utilities specifically coming up a little bit later in the program, and the two organizations are, are related, so we'll talk about that as well. But um, who are your clients? Our clients are low-income people, and by low-income people, I mean people who are living at 125% are below of the federal poverty book guidelines, which means for a single person, they can make no more than $14,000 to be eligible a year to be eligible for our services. For a family of four, we're talking about $29,000. So it's very, very low income people who are eligible for civil legal services. Mm -hmm. With that being said, not everyone who qualifies for our services is able to obtain our services. Why not? Because unlike in the criminal realm, which most people think about, where there's a constitutional right to counsel, there is no such right in civil cases, such as with family law, or if someone is having a mortgage foreclosure issue and they're low income, or someone is having seeking unemployment compensation and they are low income, or someone is uh, having a landlord-tenant problem and they're low income. There is no civil right to counsel in those particular cases. And our funding is such that we get some government funding from the federal government and the state government and some local funders, but it's not enough. Because currently, in just in our 18-county region that MidPen serves, there's about 423,000 people who are living 125% or below the poverty income guidelines. That makes all of those folks eligible for their services. We currently have a staff of lawyers about 42, and that includes myself. And as the director, I'm not doing cases. So... Just do the math. So we have about one lawyer for every 12,000 low-income people um, in our service area. Um, and that's similar statistics across the state and across the nation as well, I should say. Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, the, the criminal system. And 
unfortunately, most people uh, get their ideas of, of the, the courts and the justice system from television. And they hear about public defenders. We hear about news stories of uh, appeals being made after a criminal case because uh, a defendant thought they had ineffective counsel. Also know that public defenders are vastly overworked, that there aren't enough to go around for a lot of low-income defendants. From what you just described, it sounds as if it's very similar in the civil system. Absolutely. Um, And and again, I would just point back um, to somewhat of a difference. So, you know, we value the work that the, our friends in the public defender's offices do across the nation because they do wonderful, and in Pennsylvania, wonderful work. But unlike their situations, um, people coming to us, and statistics have shown this, we have to turn away about 50% of the people who come to us for services just because we don't have the resources to, to assist them. Um, so you're someone... And you get a notice, and you, you're a homeowner, and it says your home is being foreclosed upon because of X, Y, Z. You know, you haven't made your mortgage payments. You're being evicted. You're in a child custody dispute with your significant other, your former spouse. You're, you know, you're being denied unemployment compensation. You're being evicted illegally. These are the kinds of things that people come to us on a daily basis with. And we have had to set up um, various, because of funding, priorities to say, to try to make it somewhat fair about who we assist and who we are unable to assist. So I think there, there there's definitely a, di- a, you know, um, um, a, a difference there. And um, with that being said, though, you know, we recognize that, and there, we try to make efforts to serve everybody who comes to us who we're able to serve, but unfortunately, we just can't do it just with the numbers and the staffing that we have. Now, you've listed uh, you know, some of the areas in which uh, your attorneys practice uh, or your services uh, that, you, that you render, but uh, you know, we, we all know that uh, the economy in this country tanked in uh, 2007, 2008. Have you seen a difference, maybe an increase in the number of clients or potential clients since then? Absolutely. Um, right during that time, um, 2008, 2009 for us, our numbers increased by 20% of the people who were eligible for our services. We were getting more calls. Our resources at the same time were decreasing. Our number of people who were contacting us for service were increasing. And also, we were seeing... I don't like the term the new poor. I don't like that term, but we were seeing people who had been formerly middle class or are working who now became eligible for legal services. And our cases such as mortgage foreclosure skyrocketed. People were losing jobs, companies were closing, moving out of the area, skyrocketed. Unemployment compensation, skyrocketed. People were being laid off, being denied unemployment compensation, um, skyrocketed. Fortunately, you know, we had the resources and we had to switch from some of the other things that we were doing to address these issues because this was about keeping people in their homes, keeping people with incomes. 
so that they could feed their families and keeping roofs over their heads. Um, and um, so we we really did see that during that time period. And it continues. It's not as, 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 as high as it was, but we really did see it in that 08, 09, and even into 2010 um, time period. Is there one area now, today, currently, uh, where you have more clients than others? Yeah, and, and this has been, and this is nationwide. Um, nationwide are, are the one area where we get requests for services is in the area of family law. And um, statistics have shown that um, across, that's nationwide statistics and certainly proves that in Pennsylvania with the, with the programs such as mine, what we call regional programs, that that's the number one request for services. But that's not all that we do because the, we could do that all day long and then we wouldn't be able to help people with other types of cases that affect the lives of low-income people. And just think about if you, if, you're, if, you, if you get that notice that you've been sued in court and someone's, you know, you're going to be losing your home, you know, you're, someone's suing you for custody of your child, um, you get those kinds of notices, you can't afford a lawyer, we're to be there for people who have nowhere else to turn. However, we know that we have to prioritize things because we can't do everything, um, again, with the resources that we have. So what we try to do is prioritize and make categories that are, where, that are emergency type categories, you know, where a child might be in danger, you know, there's domestic violence in the home, those kinds of things to keep kids safe um, is in those types of area where we, when we're doing custody. Well, you say that family law is number one here mm -hmm. and nationwide. Has there been an increase or has that always been the case? I've been doing legal services for about 27 years and that's always been really? the case. I think the difference though, and I think if you would hear judges say this, a lot of people are trying to navigate the court system on their own in these cases and it makes judges very uncomfortable because judges have a role that they are to be impartial. And when you have a pro se or a litigant who's on their own, and two or even worse, two litigants are on their own, and the judge can't advocate for either side. The judge has, and, but people, the rules are such that, and every, uh, I'm not, people, there are com complex rules that you have to follow when you're in court, and there's protocols in court. Um, that um, if you're on your own, that you don't always, um, you know, you don't always understand. And it makes it very difficult for judges. Well, protocol, rules, all that, but mm -hmm. also the law. And there's the <laughs> Un law. Understanding the law. Absolutely. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Our guest during this portion of the program is Rodia Thomas, who is Executive Director of Mid-Pen Legal Services. This is part of WITF's Chasing the Dream, Poverty and Opportunity in America project. It's a multimedia platform uh, media initiative that provides a deeper understanding of the impact of poverty on American society. Funding for this initiative is provided by the JPB and Ford Foundations, with additional local support from Capital Area Intermediate Unit, the 
the Community First Fund, Lancaster Lebanon Habitat for Humanity, and Restore and Tri-County Community Action. Learn more at WITF.org slash Chasing the Dream. I also should, me- also should mention that uh, as our Chasing the Dream coverage continues, we invite you to a free public forum. It is uh, scheduled for Thursday, June 22nd from uh, 6 to 8 p.m. And I should mention that date has changed. It was originally supposed to be next Thursday, but it is June 22nd from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Public Media Center here in Harrisburg. Uh, we'd like to invite you to uh, come in. It's totally free. Talk about uh, a number of issues like communities do to ins- what communities can do to ensure affordable housing, quality education, uh, all kinds of issues to discuss. Register online at WI tf.org slash chasing the dream. Now, I want to introduce uh, someone. One of the things I want to mention about uh, the Chasing the Dream project is uh, w- one of the unique aspects of it is that we like to hear from real people, people who have experienced uh, some of these issues that uh, we are discussing. And joining us now is Lornetta Young. And Lornetta uh, used uh, Mid- Midpen, I don't know why I keep wanting to say Midtown, uh, Midpen Legal Services. Um, and first of all, Ms. Young, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. All right. Well, I'm just going to let you tell your story. Uh, how did you come in contact and uh, come to work with uh, Rodia and MidPen Legal Services? Well, first of all, um, I used to be a case manager, mental health case manager. So I advocated for a lot of people. And one of the programs or agencies that we used to use as a resource was MidPen Legal. Um, during the time that I was employed, I was in a car accident. A drunk driver hit me. Um, I spent about three months in a hospital bed in my living room. I lost my job. At that point, my daughter was just getting ready to go to college. I had taken out my whole 401k to put her through school and everything, and then this happens. Um, I became a victim of a predatory loan for my mortgage. Now, I've been a single parent all my life and working hard, trying to keep a roof over me and my daughter's head. and. Um, this happens to me. Had no way to get unemployment because it didn't happen while I was working. Um, the lawsuit was still pending, drawn out forever. So when I got the letters that I was losing my house, I decided to go to Midpen Legal. And Okay, I'll follow up on that. But when you say a predatory mortgage loan, I'm not going to ask the name of the company or anything like that. But what, how would you describe predatory? What, what, what do you mean by that? Um I mean, they were sending me letters that I didn't understand that seemed urgent, like they could foreclose on you, like, immediately. They were being very aggressive. Very, very aggressive, leaving things on my door, calling all hours of the night. It was very disturbing. Plus, I was going through my own medical issues and trying to survive and figure out how I was going to live for the rest of my life. So it was a very intense situation. And had I not gotten help, with Midpen Legal, then I would have lost my house. Well, let me turn to Rodia for just a moment. What uh, Lornetta is describing here, uh, very aggressive, predatory, but legal? No. Okay, that's, that, <laughs> that was my that was the part I wanted to know. Not, not legal and a very high interest rate with her loan, um, robo-signing of documents, which, you know, putting documents in front of people, not explaining them, having her sign them all kinds of things like that. Um, so when she came to us, um, there was an attorney signed to her case, and um, one of the first things she did, bring in every document and Larnetta, unlike a lot of people, Larnetta had all 
the documents, mm -hmm. which is very important when you could because you have to take it the whole way back and see how it started and how they transferred things from this company to that company. Mm -hmm. A lot of unfair debt practices in there, calling all hours of the night. Those things are not legal. Those things are not legal. Notes on the door, you know, harassing, threatening, those kinds of things that they were doing, all illegal tactics. Um, during a time when, as she was saying, she was recovering from, mm -hmm. or trying to recover from a serious car accident. So, Lornetta, when this is all happening, uh, before you made the decision to go to MidPen, um, what were you thinking? I mean, were you thinking this is illegal? Were you thinking that, uh, okay, I, I'm just going to have to put up with this because I'm in this situation and they're trying to get their money back? No, to be honest with you, I was thinking I needed a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, that's really what I was thinking. And I needed somebody to be able to understand the law language. Mm -hmm. And if you don't understand the vocabulary of any particular subject, then you're doomed with fail. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to work. And as Odea said earlier, the terms, uh, the, the guidelines, the deadlines, all of that with the law, you have to go by. And if you miss a certain deadline, then your case is over. They have their backload of cases that they have to see. How, how long did they tell you you had to uh, get caught up before you would be foreclosed upon? When I came to Midpen Legal, I think it was a month. Mm -hmm. It was literally a month. And, and the thing about it was my next-door neighbor worked for an agency that does housing. Mm -hmm. And she kept telling me, no, they're supposed to send you, was it Act, Act 9? Yeah, Act 91? No, 91, 91 notice, yes, yeah. Act 91 notice. I kept requesting it, literally, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very meticulous in the things that I do. Wait, just a second, I want to make sure that we have a background. Act one, 91 notice, what's that? It's a notice that tells you that, it gives you your rights and it tells you that your house is about ready to okay. be foreclosed. And they didn't they send did you? They did not, and refused. that is a requirement. Okay, go Refused ahead. to send it to me. And you, without that, you can't get any assistance for any programs. Like I said, I was a case manager, so I was aware of different agencies and programs, but without that Act 91, I couldn't get any assistance. Mm -hmm. So that's when Midpen Legal made it, made it happen. When they found out I had a lawyer, they sent me Act 91 mm -hmm. immediately. Um, and long story short, it came so that I, I saved my house. Um, it's still a little rough, but I also want to say to the public that a lot of time when people look at these programs and they think low income, they think it's people that are lazy. It's not necessarily the truth. I worked hard. I worked two jobs. And the situation happened when I was in, that was not in my control. A drunk driver hit me. I was in a car accident. That doesn't mean that I should lose my home and everything that I worked for. I want the same things in life that everybody else does. So when you hear people to say that low income doesn't mean that you're lazy, doesn't mean that you're trying to lay on society. It just means that you might need some help. You said that your, your thinking was that, that you needed a lawyer. Was there any time you hesitated because you thought, okay, the people, these people are putting these notices on the front of my house, my neighbors can see it. I mean, that there was some embarrassment there uh, that you thought that, no, I don't, I don't need assistance. I can do this on my own. No. No. I'm not that type of person. <laughs> so I don't lay down. She's a perfect client. Yeah. I don't lay down and just accept anything that's thrown at me. And now, actually, I'm on the board of directors uh, for Midpen Legal, so I can help advocate. I'm still advocating for people um, so they can get the help, too, that they might need. So uh, 
it sounds as if I doubt there's a cut and dried case in the legal system, but I don't know, Rodia, Lernetta's case sounded like it was fairly simple because there had been so many violations. Well, yeah, there were lots of violations, but the issue that Larnetta was addressing is that a lot of people don't know. Larnetta is unusual because of the sense that she had had she had worked outside, she had been a case manager, she was she had advocated for people. She under and she had sent people to us in the past in her role as a case manager, so she knew about the service. That's number 1. Number 2, she knew there's something that can be done. I can't afford a lawyer now because I'm on disability, um, meaning Lornetta, right. because of her accident and stuff. So she said, no, I'm not going to. But not everybody does that. A lot of our clients aren't aware that they have options. A lot of people come to us at the 11th hour when we could have made a difference had they gotten to us sooner. Almost in panic mode. Almost in panic mode. And it's really, really unfortunate. So what's really good about um, having Lernetta and the other clients that we have on our board is that they are knowledgeable. They, It's sort of like a ripple effect. They can take it. And if they come across somebody, they're active in their communities, they come across somebody, they can say, you need to call Midpen Legal Services, you need to call this agency, you need to call that agency mm -hmm. to see if you can get some help. Because then knowledge is power, as we all know. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think made her situation different. I do that a lot. I do that a lot. As far as telling people. To a lot. You know, I, let me just say this. That is, as we've been doing this project, Chasing the Dream, that is one of the themes I hear, not just about uh, your your program, but so many other assistance programs or uh, you know where, where people who are eligible don't know about it that they just don't know about it now Lornetta, you were in a different situation that you did and you because of your job you had worked there and and are not there but you worked in a position where you were aware of it but i just hear that so often now in the last three weeks since we started this project i just keep hearing people say that i would have taken advantage of the, of the situation or of the program if i would have known about it in fact, I think a little bit later in the program, we're going to hear a, a similar situation about knowing about it. But there's also that stigma sometimes. But it sounds that, no, Lord, now you, you may have been the exception. Are there people, Rodia, who are hesitant to come to you? Or are you different because they see this as they know that hiring an attorney can be an expensive proposition, that if they're eligible, we need an attorney? I think, no, I don't. I don't know about the stigma so much. I think um, when the economy uh, downturn in the 08, 09, we were getting, as I explained earlier, a lot of people who were newly in that situation had never had to use the resources of other. I think it was harder for people who had never been in that situation to come to us. But I think that once people get there, they see the quality of the services that they're going to get. They know they can't afford. They know that something needs to be done. I don't really think that there's a stigma. Okay. Uh, go ahead. What are you saying? I think my personal opinion is I think that a lot of people don't have faith in the system. Justice system? Justice system. Mm -hmm. The legal system. They don't understand it. Um, and they don't have faith in it. I've had a lot of people say it's not going to do anything anyway. 
we're just gonna fail. It's you know, it's not gonna do anything. A lot of people, to be honest with you, really don't have faith in the system. And a lot of times the system has failed a lot of people. What do, you, what do you think when you hear someone say that? that? I mean, have you seen that, that there are people who just don't have faith in the system? Well, and I think um, particularly in a lot of um, low-income communities, minority communities, and because most people's contact with the system has been on the criminal side. And I think that cover, colors it so much for those of us who work on the civil side. I mean, the criminal side is important, and as I said earlier, but I think that's because of that kind of, uh, of, of experience. But I also think when you're thinking that you're going up against a bureaucracy of some sort. It's intimidating. It's intimidating. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's um, a, a, a mortgage company that is harassing you, that's, that's intimidating. Mm-hmm. To people. A couple of issues, uh, other issues I wanted to touch on before we uh, switch over, uh, talk about another topic uh, as part of the, the project. Uh, and, and that is, uh, you've mentioned uh, protection from abuse mm-hmm. uh, a couple of times. Many people think of that as criminal, but it's not. It, it's civil to begin with. Is that something that you is kind of new that you've been doing? No, we've been doing really? that okay. for, for right. forever. And, and yeah, the, the, the statute itself, getting a civil protection order is is on the civil side. If there's a violation of the then order, it becomes criminal. then it becomes criminal. Mm. But have you seen any increase, decrease? What are the trends there? Um, the trends are that it's always it's high volume of work that we do. I think there was a, a lot there, during the economic downturn, um, again, there was because of, I don't want to make excuses for people doing bad things, but there was a lot of financial pressures on people and situations kind of happened during that time period that um, escalated a little bit. But basically our numbers continue to be high and but not increasing mm-hmm. see one of the reasons I was curious is because domestic violence uh, when there's a high profile uh, case like a Ray Rice Baltimore Ravens uh, going back to the OJ Simpson days yeah. uh, when there's a high profile case where domestic uh, abuse or domestic violence is uh, in in the media a lot there tend to be more reports and I don't know more people become aware of PFAs and I just wondered if you had seen any kind of trends because of of, of that well I think it's an important issue I think it's a serious issue it exists I also think it's one of the issues that we may not see because there's under reporting mm-hmm. because yeah. people don't think that they're entitled to anything or just because of the nature of domestic violence itself and there's a lot of shame and guilt that goes right. along with that so i think we see a lot of underreporting. um just you know i want to make sure that we give credit to uh, the attorneys that you work with uh, you say that your the resources are limited uh, but who are some of the attorneys that you have and do you have attorneys that are offering pro bono work and and, and just how does it work Yes, we have about 43 staff attorneys, the people who actually work for MidPen, and then we have a lot of 
private lawyers who do pro bono work on cases that we refer to them on behalf of people who are eligible for our services across our 18-county region. So we're very, very fortunate in, in, in that way as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you work with the area law schools too, right? Yes, we do. We work with um, both area law schools, Widener and, and um, Dickinson uh, law schools, and we they give us interns during the summer, externs during the school year, and also we're, they um, we refer clients to their clinical programs mm -hmm. as well. So as I wrap up this segment, Lornette, I just had to ask, how's the house doing now? Oh, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It beats living on the street. <laughs> <laughs> and that's an understatement. I want to thank uh, Rodia Thomas, who is Executive Director of MidPen Legal Service, and uh, also Lornetta Young, and uh, Lornetta was a client, and uh, I'm glad she came in and told her story. Thank both of you for being with us today. You're welcome. Thank you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott. Lamar. Access to legal aid is not the only limit created by poverty. In 2014, over 312,000 Pennsylvania households had their utilities shut off, four times greater than the number of utility terminations in the 1990s, typically anyway. Losing access to necessities like electricity and gas heating can severely limit performing daily necessities like preparing food or even prove life-threatening in face of freezing winter temperatures. Speaking with us today about the struggle of uncertainty stable access to utilities and the options available to those in need is Patrick Cicero. He is executive director of the Pennsylvania Utility Law Project. Mr. Cicero, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, Scott. Happy to be here. Well, and we mentioned during the first part, but I also wanted to mention again that uh, the Pennsylvania Utility Law Project has a relationship with Midpen, uh, Midpen Legal Services, don't you? Yeah, that's correct. Um, both Midpen Legal Services and the Pennsylvania Utility Law Project, or PULP, are a part of the statewide legal aid network, which serves the entire state of Pennsylvania through the agencies like MidPen, which are county level agencies that do kind of the bread and butter of legal aid work, serving individual clients on all the issues that uh, Rodia spoke about. Pulp is a part of a, a number of specialized projects throughout the state. And the recognition uh, that the state had when they created this network was that um, there are certain issues, like utilities, that uh, require a level of specialization. And um, although the legal aid offices like MidPen represent individual customers facing utility termination cases, organizations like ours at Pulp represent group clients and individuals before state agencies on larger utility issues um, seeking to uh, do some structural change within the utilities and within the programs available to help folks afford utility service. Well, let's talk about that specifically, sure. what you do. So Pulp um, is a very small organization. We're three attorneys. Um, we uh, serve both as backup support to the local legal aid offices like MidPen, and then we represent groups before uh, the Pennsylvania Public Utility Commission, the Department of Human Services, uh, Department of Community and Economic Development. Uh, so for example, when a utility files a base rate case, um, they are seeking to increase rates by a certain percentage. Um, we have client advisory groups who seek to intervene, and those groups, um, either nonprofit organizations or uh, uh, association of low-income individuals, will retain us to represent them before the PUC as an interested intervener in those cases to ensure that um, if a utility is going to uh, increase rates, that there are uh, programs available to assist low-income customers to be able to afford that rate increase and to be able to afford the continued provision of essential uh, services like electricity, natural gas, water, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So that's for low-income specifically because the consumer advocate Correct. is looking at 
a rate increase proposal overall. That's correct. There is the Office of Consumer Advocate, which is housed in the Pennsylvania Attorney General's office, and they do an excellent job of representing the interest of residential ratepayers as a whole. And they do very technical work often um, in terms of the, the appropriate rate increase percentage, um, what the appropriate rate of return is. Our organization represents the interest of uh, low-income Pennsylvanians um, in these cases. And the, in, a, in a specific utility service territory, the low-income customers of a specific utility um, in a rate proceeding. And our goal and focus is how to assist these households to maintain essential services. And so we work hand-in-hand with the OCA often. I want to read a quote from you. Uh, back to you and just get you to, to explain a little bit. You said that uh, energy utility insecurity is often an overlooked aspect of poverty. What did you mean by that? Well, I, I think um, low-income folks often bear a very high cost to keep the lights turned on, uh, the homes warm and cool, water and sewer service connected. Um, and because it's uh, often connected to the house, right, it, 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 utilities can seem abstract, they can seem difficult, and um, the, what happens is uh, folks associate it with either a landlord-tenant relationship or a mortgage relationship or a housing relationship. Um, and what we don't often look at is there are hundreds and thousands of, of Pennsylvanians who go without utility service every year for periods of time. And they remain housed. Some of that leads to homelessness, but they remain housed. And so they'll go for months without gas or for months without electricity. And the cost that that has to that household is significant. It costs lots of money um, in terms of getting the service reconnected. Um, if they're unable to get reconnected, it costs lots of money to other ratepayers. But the social costs of those households are incredibly significant. We know from um, lots of research that there's adverse health effects for living under chronic stress. Um, and one of the leading uh, causes of chronic stress is the inability to be able to afford life's necessities. When we talk about utilities, we like to think of it as it, it's what makes your home livable, right? Imagine living in a house without lights or running water or a way to heat your house. Um, it becomes just a building, right, that you are in and provides shelter from the rain and a little bit from the cold. But it is not, um, it's not very fun to do. Um, and for long periods of time, depending on when, we, uh, when the service is terminated, um, it can lead to very catastrophic events. And, you know, some that people may not even think of, like I, I read an article in uh, the Patriot News uh, last winter uh, talked about the people who use space heaters or turn their oven on for, for heat and that can lead to fires and other dangers. So it's not just uh, the, the stress and all that, but, yeah, those, right. those become catastrophic, catastrophic events. In 2014, uh, more than 312,000 Pennsylvania households had their utilities shut off. And that figure is four times greater than what typically occurred in the 1990s. What happened? Well, a lot of things happened. The economy's a lot worse, um, and that has had a significant effect. Um, but um, 2004, the law changed. Um, in 2004, the General Assembly um, passed what is known as Chapter 14 of the Public Utility Code. And this increased the ability of um, the utilities to uh, impose, uh, to more easily terminate service, to impose uh, more strict requirements for um, the ability to get reconnected, and it limited um, the discretion of the Public Utility Commission to effectively handle um, a situation in which a person's unable to afford their bills. So, for example, the Public Utility Commission now is only able to enter into one payment arrangement that is set 
on very formulaic terms as opposed to establishing payment arrangements that a household actually has the ability to pay um, based on their own circumstances. Um, so it limited the discretion of the Public Utility Commission. It increased the tools uh, by the utilities to terminate service. And what you see is from 2004, um, over the last 12 years, utility terminations have skyrocketed. Um, and it's a, it's a combination of of the environment um, and the 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 unemployment situation and the economy, but it's also a combination of the tools that the utilities have um, to terminate service more. One quickly. of the big aspects of uh, Chapter 14 that uh, y you mentioned is that utility customers could go directly to the Public Utility Commission to negotiate uh, a payment plan. Under Chapter 14, they could no longer do that. They'd have to do it with the utility, correct? Well, it, they're still – all utility customers are still able to go to the Public Utility Commission. Um, what they have to do under Chapter 14 is first go to the public utility, which is appropriate. Um, and the, PU, the public utility can um, negotiate payment arrangements of any number and any length, but they have all determined or almost exclusively all determined that they're going to ne negotiate one payment arrangement. And the, what, what had been the case is that the Public Utility Commission – could um, uh, create a payment agreement of a length that was appropriate for the household based on their circumstances. And they weren't limited, if a household fell, fell off that payment arrangement, to uh, only that one. Now they're limited to uh, one payment arrangement, except under very extraordinary circumstances for household. The other significant part of this is very low-income, vulnerable households are enrolled in uh, utility customer assistance programs, which I can talk about here in a minute. Those customers are not eligible for a public utility commission payment arrangement. So whereas before they were, now they're not. So there's uh, hundreds of thousands of customers who just aren't eligible for a PUC payment arrangement because they're on a utility assistance program. Are the utilities, since this happened, this happened in 2004, right? Correct. Uh, since Chapter 14 came aboard, are the utilities collecting more money? Uh, you know, that was obviously their, their motivation. They wanted paid. Are they getting paid more by low-income or people who, uh, you know, are, had fallen behind in their bills? No, the, the the revenue numbers. I mean, there's the again, revenue is cyclical because of um, the economy and how much uh, the cost of gas um, and the cost of electricity. Um, but uh, this this has led to increased terminations, and it hasn't necessarily led to um, improved payment behavior. Right? The, these draconian um, uh, tools have not uh, necessarily led to improved payment behavior. That's a mixed bag, um, and there's all kinds of ways to interpret those numbers. But from our, from our uh, view of them, it hasn't. You know, we often hear that uh, poor people or those on fixed incomes uh, sometimes have to decide between what the example given most often is between food and medication. Right. But from what I understand, just looking into the, this. Realistically, there are a lot of people who have who have to decide between paying their utility bills, maybe their mortgage, maybe that food, maybe that medication. That that's something that uh, it's one of the necessities, but it's something that people of low incomes or fixed in incomes have to make decisions on. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it's known as the heat and eat dilemma. Um, am I going to heat or am I going to eat? But it's also the heat and pay for my car to get repaired or heat and pay my mortgage, or running water and um, you know uh, pay my uh, medicine. I mean, the data shows that uh, low-income households that are troubled, um, about a third of them have missed a mortgage or rent payment because of their, their need to pay their utility bill. 
And this just creates a spiral effect where um, if you miss one mortgage payment or one rent payment, or if you miss a utility payment, um, the consequences catch up with you very quickly. Um, and you either get evicted, um, or you start foreclosure process, or your utilities are turned off, or both. Um, mm -hmm. And so it creates a really difficult problem. The, the cause of this is the high cost that utilities have. And I want to I wanna make sure that, that I emphasize this. There are 300,000 households in Pennsylvania that live at in deep poverty, which is less than 50% of the federal poverty guidelines, 300,000 households. Those households pay 30% of their monthly income for utility services, for energy, heat, electricity, and some way to heat their home. Not even water, not even telephone, 30%. Um, and that is staggering, and, and it's, um, it's appalling, quite honestly. As part of uh, Chasing the Dream, we like to hear the voices of people who have experienced it and uh, you know, we like to hear their stories. I don't know whether like to hear them, because we don't like to hear them, but uh, we appreciate uh, what they have been through and uh, the, the kind of work that they've had to do working with uh, some of these organizations to uh, make things better. Joining us is Joelle Ewell. Is it Yule? Mm -hmm. Okay. Joelle right. Yule, who is a client, was a client of uh, Pennsylvania Utility Law Project. Miss Yule, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Can I get you a little closer to the microphone? Sure. There you go. Uh, tell me about, uh, you had kind of a, well, put it this way. I said earlier <laughs> in the program that uh, one of the themes I keep hearing as we're doing this project is people don't know, people who are in a low-income situation don't know about some of the services that are available. Now, we're going to talk about uh, your, your uh, specific utility uh, issue, but were you aware of any kind of assistance that there, that there was out there? The only reason why I was aware of any kind of assistance, because I'm in a church that is very diverse, socially, economically, in every way, you know, even race, we're very diverse. So we have people in our congregation on all different levels. And when I had my issue, I went to a pastor of our church and our pastor led me to Patrick. At that time, I didn't know what Patrick did or, you know, how he could help me, but through that community of church, we um, we hooked up and he was able to get me the support that I needed. So you, you two are still in the same church? Mm -hmm. Okay. What church is that? We'll give them some credit. Harrisburg Brethren in Christ. Okay. Hey, there, you, there, you, <laughs> there you go. All right. So let's go back to uh, your own particular situation. What was happening? Um, I know this. When, when, you, when you do live, you know, within the poverty realm, I call it that. You're always only one check away from it all falling apart, you know. And there have been a couple instances where, like he said, either the car breaks down, it's going to fall apart. If, you know, say your son has something for sports that has to be paid, it's going to fall apart. So you're always trying to decide, you know, what am I going to pay? And sometimes the utilities get the last of it because everything else is calling at you so hard. You have to pay this, you have to pay that, you have to pay that. So during that time, you know, I, I was like, okay, UGI or, or electric or water and plus the mortgage, you know, so I, I opted to pay maybe say UGI and maybe PPNL didn't get paid this week or I opted to pay PPNL this month and UGI get it next month or you know it, it's always like that but when I came to the situation where I really needed somebody that's when I went to him and I asked him for assistance and he, he showed me you know the avenue 
where I could gain help. Well, okay, before we go to that, sure. though, when you say you got to the point where you knew you needed help and mm. you had gone to your pastor, what was happening? I mean, um, you described how you like, were juggling it, but how yeah. bad did it get? It, it, it gets pretty bad. It gets really bad because you're scared. You're scared. Like, nobody wants to be in the dark, you know, <laughs> and, and nobody wants to be without heat. Nobody... Nobody wants to be without a home. You know, these these are necessities. And what had happened was it was just it was just very stressful. If I can say that I was I had eviction, not eviction notices, but shut off notices that had to be dealt with. And, you know, I you don't want to admit pride. Pride plays a lot of roles in why we don't always go to search out the help that we need. And at this point, I was just like, okay, forget pride. Okay, I need help. And that's when I went looking for it. But you don't, it's embarrassing to tell people, look, I'm in a situation because of finances, because you don't want people to look at you kind of like, oh, she don't pay her bills. It's not that you can't pay your bills, it's that you're really not able to because of what you have. So, you know, all those emotions on top of being scared of this thing happening, it, 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 it leads to a lot of anxiety. Did you have a regular income at the time? Um, I think I did. I think I I was working during that time. I had um I had a issue where I was very sick, and you know even dealing with medical, you know, and until I could get this issue dealt with, I had to come up with another means of making money. So the fact that I'm ECE, I'm a preschool teacher, you know, that's what my career path is on. Um, I just decided to open up in home daycare, you know, just to help with it and because I couldn't work, you know. So during this time, you know, I was only making the money that the people or the parents were able to pay. Like I didn't go for the full amount. I was like, okay, well, whatever you can pay for that week, I would take, you know. So that's what I did. And by doing that, it just left me. It left me. And But it, it didn't leave me without the sense of thinking that I was hopeless. You know, some money is always better than no money. So when it did get to that point where the bottom was about to fall out, that's when I went to look. It's hard, hard to have childcare if you don't have a warm house. <laughs> exactly, or water, or electricity. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, you so you never things. reached the point where a utility was shut off? Oh, well, yeah. yeah. Oh, you did? I mean, heck yeah. yeah. Like um, <laughs> UTI, you know, that was shut off. And... um. Luckily, that wasn't during that time. That happened later when I was still trying to figure it out. And, um, yeah, it, it was shut off. And I, because of that, I had sent my son, who was in high school at the time, I sent him with his dad. You know, I'm like, look, until I can figure this out and get this turned back on, I need him to go with you. So he went with his dad. And, you know, it was it was a lonely year. But I, I was very grateful that I had that, you know, connection with his father where I could say, look, my my utilities aren't on go. You have a lot of mothers and single parents who don't have that. So if I got to suffer through it, so do the kids. And, you know, and I just didn't want him to suffer through it. So what turned it around? Um, well, I think me being able to get access to the health care, first of all, that I needed to get my situation fixed, then I could go back to work. So when I went back to work, you know, and getting a steady paycheck and all that, you know, that 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 kind of fixed it. Granted, I could have stayed in the in-home daycare. It just wasn't stable enough. Mm -hmm. I needed that every two weeks, you know. So when I did that, it started picking up. Um, there's still a situation right now that is not resolved that's in my home. And I just basically had to figure out how to make it work until I could make it work, until I could afford to have everything, you know, 
put back the way it was. So the 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 struggle is still going. Mm-hmm. It's not over. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just God gives me the grace to deal with it. And I think that's what it is, you know, but even that you you want to you want to get to a point where you don't have to struggle so much. So Patrick, how did uh, your organization help? Well, um in the situation that Joelle mentioned, um, there are, because she was dealing with regulated utilities, um, those that are uh, under the jurisdiction of the Public Utility Commission, um, they're required to have uh, payment assistance programs for very low-income folks. Um, ca- uh, they're called customer assistance programs. Um, and in the first instance, we were able to get Joelle enrolled in um, those programs, which create uh, opportunities to pay a reduced bill on a monthly basis. And if you have debt going into them, you have an opportunity to have your debt uh, frozen and forgiven over time if you're able to make on time in full payments. And so when this first occurred, we were able to get her enrolled in a CAP program, um, and that worked for a while. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes CAP payments, um, even CAP payments aren't affordable because of the the ways that um, money's fungible, right? When you have something that you have to pay that um, you're going to lose your car, lose your house, um, that takes precedence um, sometimes even over... What is a reduced bill? And so the problem that Joelle had was um, if you get terminated when you're enrolled in the CAP program, it creates a barrier then to get uh, service back on because you can't get the same kind of forgiveness of utility services that you got um, initially. It creates a hardship in getting caught up. Um, and so, uh, it, you know, we, we, ha- we have and know of clients, um, including Joelle, who um, have received assistance, but because of unemployment, because of job loss, because of poverty, haven't been able to maintain certain utility services in their home, even with that assistance. And I think that's what's important to understand. So this is an ongoing recurring problem. The structural unaffordability of utility services is something that we're gonna have to deal with um, and needs to be dealt with because um, even with assistance, these these uh, core services are, are often unaffordable for uh, vulnerable households. So we're able to assist her in the first instance through CAP, um, and uh, now uh, it's a matter of waiting um, and trying to get some money together to yeah. pay some back bills. We only have a minute or so left. I want to thank both of you for being with us today. And uh, Patrick, you contacted me about this, and I'm glad that you did. That uh, you know, it opened up some eyes, and uh, uh, you know, maybe help some people who aren't aware of it or maybe know of uh, they know of it but uh, there is that stigma or they don't yeah. want to uh, to pursue what kind of advice would you give someone in a situation like Joel um, don't ignore the problem um, it's easy to do um, because it feels overwhelming but many many utility problems are solvable um, and um, there are really naughty ones like I just mentioned but many are solvable so don't ignore the problem. Contact your utility um, and ask whether there are payment assistance programs available. Um, so call them um, and tell them you can't afford to pay your bill and you're low income. And they will, uh, they have an obligation to and will um, refer you to these low income payment assistance programs. If you have a problem that you can't feel like you can solve, contact your local legal aid office, like MidPen Legal Services, if you live in the central Pennsylvania region. Or contact the Pennsylvania Utility Law Project. You can find us uh, online if you Google Pennsylvania Utility Law Project, and we'll refer you to the right place. Patrick Cicero is the executive director of the Pennsylvania Utility Law Project, and Joelle Yule was a client. Thank you very much for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you. 
That was uh, WITF's Chasing the Dream project uh, for this week. Coming up uh, on Monday, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, guerrilla behavior, and I think you know what this is related to.